Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. All right, here we are. First inning, game six, leading off of 2024. Um, we're the home team. Our guest today, he just caught, you know, three outs, bang, 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 three up, three down. He's taking the gear off. He's leading off for us. And we had to start with um, recently named new head baseball coach at his alma mater, the only Division One program in the state of Wisconsin, Sean Wegner. Now, Weggs has been on the show before when he was an assistant and recruiting coordinator at Milwaukee, his alma mater. Um, he spent most of his life in the state of Wisconsin from Watertown, again, walk-on at Milwaukee, catcher, all-conference player, went into coaching right away, found his way back to Milwaukee as an assistant. Um, and then this past summer uh, of 2023, after legendary coach Scotty Duffick retired, um, Weggs was promoted to the head job and he's off and running. The staff looks pretty similar, brought in a couple new guys, making the program his own, and I love this episode. One, Weggs is a phenomenal guy. And if you've had any interactions with him, about as personable as it gets um, on the recruiting trail, anything you need from his program, he's always willing to take time, okay? Also, on this episode, we're talking about that transition from assistant to head coach that so many of us have gone through. You know, obviously at his level, we're talking Division One baseball, you know, much bigger fish to fry. But I think there's a lot of great nuggets in here about making that transition, hiring a staff, building that team around you, both as coaches and obviously the players as well. Also, a little bit of a preview into the WBCA clinic where Weggs has got a couple sessions where he's speaking, um, some tips for you know player development and indoor practice and everything else we got going on in Wisconsin. But so excited to be back on the podcast. We have, uh, again, a phenomenal guest to get us started. Leading off, again, he's, he's not a speed guy, but he's an on-base guy. All right, he'd tell you that uh, firsthand. He's a humble, humble guy. We love having him on. Thank you for taking the time. And without further ado, head baseball coach at UW-Milwaukee, Sean Wegner. All right, man, we're live. How are you doing today? I'm good. Well, congratulations. You're one of the uh, the few people about a uh, second episode on here. So congratulations on that. But more importantly, congratulations on uh, being named the new head baseball coach at uh, UW-Milwaukee. Congrats, buddy. Appreciate it, Tim. I know it's it's been a dream of mine to, to potentially have this opportunity and now I kind of view myself as the head alumni trying to get this ship moving in the right direction again and, and take it to heights maybe that we haven't been to before. Well, that's incredible. And obviously, you know, it comes through the wire this summer, gives you opportunities to prepare. You've been sitting in that uh, assistant chair for so long, done an incredible job, but now you're, now you're in the big chair. So give us a little bit of a peek into the biggest adjustments uh, for moving from assistant coach to head coach. Sure. I mean, I think, more than anything, it's it's your show now. So you're responsible for every aspect of the program, whether that's the roster or the budget or apparel, um, travel, any of those little things. Um, you're essentially responsible for everything underneath the umbrella. So just trying to get my feet wet and make sure that I have all my bases covered. Um, obviously, it's a learning curve. There's a lot of things I've never done, not having been in this position before. So relying on people like Coach Duffick, who's still a good friend and will answer any questions I have. And people, even in other sports here that are head coaches, are very open and willing to, to be a voice of reason and help me in any of those those facets where maybe I, I don't know or I'm struggling or I'm just trying to figure out still. So we have a pretty good support network here uh, between administration and the other head coaches. It's a pretty wide open department. So you don't have to be scared to ask questions and, and admit that you don't know something because people are here to help you. So it's been good from that standpoint. Now being kind of a type A person, I don't like not knowing. Um, so that's been tough. Um, but I'm trying to lean on on every resource that I have to to make sure that this first season gets underway the proper way and that we make sure everything is uh, covered from the, the budgetary standpoint, especially. Well, I mean, I just have to imagine just all the decisions you have to make and they're your decisions now. And then you got to run it, you know, through your process. And I, I'm always intrigued, like, you know, at the high school level, we always talk about that uh, welcome to varsity moment for a kid. So then obviously you're much above that moment, but you still had those moments. Give us some of the peek inside of those, like welcome to the head coach moments that you had. Sure. I mean, I always tried to in my head envision what our budget looked like. I never really got uh, 
insight or access into kind of those numbers. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but I just always try to figure it out in my head, like, what does this look like? What are we spending? What do you have available to us? And that first budget meeting when I sat down with our business director and, and here's our budget plan, here's what you have available. How do you want to spend it? Eyes were wide open, like, holy cow, I had no idea about most of this stuff. Um, I took care of the hotels in the past. I helped with the food, but the flights, the buses, the apparel, the balls, the equipment, that was all Scotty and, and Corey's doing. So I really didn't have too much it, uh, inside info into that. Uh, so when I had that meeting, it was like, man, I'm responsible for a lot of stuff here. I got I got some dollars on the table that I have to be accountable for and then also go and hopefully fundraise so that we can do this thing right. So that was probably the biggest one right away was being smacked in the face with that budget meeting. And, and this is what we got rolling. Um, try to stay within it. But if you can't, you got to find ways to fundraise to, to cover it. So that was number one. And then, I mean, being an assistant for so long, I know it's a very um, – tireless job and you're trying to do your best to support the head coach, trying to make sure that everything that they need done gets done the right way. And if, if maybe they forget something, you just kind of pick it up and get it done. Um, but our first meeting as a coaching staff, when I said, what do you guys want to see in this program? And, and the response was, no, what do you want? It's your program. That was kind of the, the eye-opening phase for me too. Like, oh, man, I guess I didn't really even think of that because for me, I always want to be collaborative with everything I do. Like, I don't want it to be about what I want. I don't want it to be my thoughts, my ideas. I want it to be our thoughts. I want it to be our ideas. I want it to be our program. So for me, when they said that back to me, I was like, holy cow, I guess I do have to make the final decision. I have to, I have to say yes or no. You know, I get to, to be that last voice of reason when it comes down to a decision. So I encourage them to, to speak up and I encourage them to, to voice their opinion because I don't think you get the best out of everyone unless they're able to be authentic and tell them, tell you what you really believe. Um, I don't want to have a bunch of yes men underneath me. Um, I don't even want people underneath me, really. I want people aside, I'm beside me, working with me to, to try and get this thing going the right way. So I don't want people just to nod their head and, and say yes to everything that I want, because I want to, I want to have conversation. I want to have argumentation. I think constructive criticism and all those things are how you get better. So those two things really kind of Smack me in the face, I guess you could say, when when it came to, yeah, I guess you are the head coach of this program. Well, and, you know, as an outsider looking in, um, you know, just from a few miles away, but it looks like it's a lot of familiar faces. And I have to imagine there's a lot of benefit to you. Like you said, it's, it's a text away. It's a phone call away. Local guys, people that are familiar with the program, the history. Um, maybe let's dig into your staff a little bit and how, you know, who's doing what, who you brought on, who stayed. And, and, and what that looks like moving forward. Yeah, so I, I'm really happy with our staff that we have here in our first year. Um, I still handle the catchers, so I that's not something that I want to give up. I was a catcher by trade. That's kind of where my passion lies in the game of baseball. Um, it's it's the, the coach on the field. So I want to make sure that as a head coach, I can still influence that position with the experiences I've had, with the knowledge that I have. And try to make sure that our catchers are able to lead on the field and just be an extension of, of the dugout, essentially. Um, but then Coach Porcaro, Mike Porcaro, came back. Uh, he was out at Arizona State the last couple of years in off-field type of roles. Um, but he was a great player here. He was a, a walk-on like myself that came in and earned a spot, earned it uh, through hard work and uh, intentional work. And then he had a really bright mind and, and his instincts played well on the baseball field. So. He uh, ended up being the the Horizon League Player of the Year his junior year, which I don't know that there were too many people out there that would have said that would have happened. But that's just a testament to Mike and his work ethic and his passion for baseball. He's he's truly a, a student of the game. Um, and I think we all are. I think if, if you think you have it figured out and you're not willing to be curious and go find out, you're going to get humbled pretty quickly. So Mike's, Mike's that way. He's very relatable. He's personable. He's been big in our recruiting already, just having another younger guy who can relate to some of these high school kids and junior college kids. Um, obviously, the game has evolved, but at the same time, the game is the same. You know, there's there's so many nuances that are maybe different or changing, but the game overall is still the same game. You're trying to score runs. You're trying to keep them off the base paths, all those types of things. So uh, Mike's been a big instrumental person in that way. He's he's I call him our defensive coordinator. Uh, we're not a football program, but... He's kind of going to take the reins on on all the positioning and the shifting and making sure we're in the right position. 
Um, he'll have scouting report responsibility. Um, but he's, he's going to be on top of that because he's another type A person. He wants to make sure it's done the right way, it's proper. Uh, and he's very, very on top of things. He doesn't want anything to pass him by either. So having Mike on staff and back has been great for our program. Uh, Corey, back as the pitching coach, he's been here, I don't even know the number, 24, 25, 26 years uh, as our pitching coach. Also an alum of the program, which is pretty cool for us and, and for me to have two guys that played in this program alongside me. So there's definite loyalty. Um, there's a, a want to see this program get to the next level. Um, there's true pride and care behind what they do. Um, and he's been great. He's, he's developed a bunch of pitchers that were, I guess you could say nobody's coming out of high school or junior college and, and being with the facilities that we have, maybe not the greatest. He does really well with what we have. You know, so he's he's turning out um, professional baseball players on the mound almost every year. Um, and that's a testament to, to his eye for baseball. That's a testament to his knowledge and his ability to kind of mold and manipulate players to get the best out of themselves. Uh, he's huge for me because he worked alongside Scotty, having an office next to him. So when it comes to some budgetary stuff or apparel that he typically handles and the equipment, it's easy to bounce questions off of him because he has knowledge of it. He's been in that same seat. He knows exactly what's going on. So he's really nice to have at my beck and call, just yelling across this wall to my right um, because he's, he's, yeah, this is what we did in the past. Is that what you want to keep doing or do we want to do something different? It's just a voice of reason because it's, it's not like we want to change this program dramatically or drastically. We just want to do little things that maybe get us moving towards that next level. So He's been great too. And then our third assistant, Jack Severs, he actually just finished playing. He was down at Western Illinois after two years at Iowa Central. Um, really energetic coach, sometimes to a fault. Uh, sometimes you got to remind him you're not a player, you're a coach now. So we just have to throttle him down at times. But that's good too, because you'd rather have it that way than the other way. Uh, he's very passionate about baseball once again. He really enjoys the recruiting aspect. He's worked for PBR a couple summers. Uh, and he worked down in Indianapolis in the uh, Grand Park League for a little while. So he knows what recruiting looks like. He knows what the nights and the travel is, is about. Um, and he's young and single and ready to get out there and, and learn the game, you know. So that's that's pretty tough to put a price on, too, because someone who's eager and available, that's the number one ability you have is availability. So him doing that for us and, and trying to develop his career and trying to get him to a spot where maybe sometime he becomes a full-time coach. That's my responsibility as the head coach, right? Mold him, help him learn, grow, uh, so that someone sees the value in Jack. And, and while he helps our program, he's continually building his resume for, for his future job as well. Well, thanks for doing that. And, you know, it got me thinking about your previous role, right? So much was on the road, so much was recruiting, and so now as a head coach, how do you how do you navigate those waters? You mentioned some of your assistants are going to take that on, but, you know, it's still part of who you are and your DNA. Um, so how do you work your recruiting brain in here? Sure. Um, I loved recruiting. I still love recruiting. It's it's something that I find uh, joy in. It's something that I'm very eager to want to go out and do. Um, I don't just want to pass that off and not be a part of it. I want to I want to essentially um turn our recruiting model into something like the professional model is what I told our coaches, where we have high school coaches, travel coaches, people in the community um, that bring our attention to players. Uh, they're the ones that are around them more so every day and they get to see them and they get to understand work ethic and skill set and mindset, uh, baseball acumen. So we want them to be the, the low level of the rung, right? We want them to be the bottom level, the area scouts. Right. And then we want to have our coaches um, get out there and be the, the cross checkers. Right. So they're out there making decisions. Is this a guy for us? Is this not a guy for us? There's lots of good players that maybe aren't a fit for us and vice versa. There's guys that maybe aren't good enough in some people's eyes that we think are good fits for what we do and who we are. So it's our job as coaches to get the other staff members out there and now go see and identify new players, but also check on the players that we kind of have awareness about and see, are these guys fits? Um, I think one thing that we do in our program well uh, is we don't make snap decisions. We want to make sure that we get eyes on guys three, four, five times minimum. Um, I know there's a lot of showcases out there right now in Prep Baseball Report. 
perfect game. There's these companies that do a great job of promoting players and giving them um, access to, to national schools and all those types of things. But for us, the showcase is just the, the table of contents. This is my height, my weight, my, my runtime, my throw velocity, my exit velo. We want baseball players ultimately, and I think most programs do. So we have to make sure that we take that table of contents and then we go read through the pages as we as we watch the games. Are they uh, instinctual players? Do they have baseball intellect? Uh, do they move around the field the right way? Is the 6-6 really play on the bases, or is that just a straight line, 60-yard speed? Um, I mean, we have Dalton Varsho, um, our big leaguer. I didn't get to see him play. I wasn't here as a player and I wasn't here as a coach. Um, but if you talk to Scotty, he was not a good 60 runner. It was like a six, nine, five, seven flat, but the guy just played really fast. His incredible instincts on the bases, first to third, never had hesitation. He plays like a bat out of hell. Like he's going hard no matter what. He's just an aggressive football mindset. So you, you got to put a value on that versus the 60 time, Right. There are guys that are seven four that will steal more bases than guys that are six four. It's just instincts. It's the ability to read pitchers. It's the ability to, to understand counts and disciplines. Like you have to make sure that you're you're getting the people that fit your scheme and what you want to do. So forever we've been very offensive here, and we we work hard on the defense and, and pitching. Um, and we just as a staff we have to sit down every couple of weeks and decide which direction do we want to go. Who do we want to be? What is our program going to look like? What type of player do we want in here? What type of person do we want in here? Are we going to take a chance on someone who's maybe got some some character issues or off the field issues because they're talented? Or are we just going to bypass and make sure that we have the right people? Um, so those are all decisions that we have to make. And then ultimately, I get to be the GM and I get to say, yeah, I do like this guy or yeah, I just don't know if that's kind of what we want to do. So we have that, that rung, that ladder that we can work through with recruiting. And I can still get out on the road. Um, I got a lot of work to do in the office now compared to past. Um, but I think one thing COVID showed us is you can work out of the office and get things done too. So it just gives us flexibility. Um, the, the ability to have a third assistant on the road now is, is definitely going to be a big impact as compared to only having one or two guys available. Um, and then myself wanting to get out there still, we have a lot of eyes to, to cover a lot of ground, which also will make it easier for the other assistants to, to take some time off too, because at the same time, our program's about family. So we want to make sure that our assistants understand family is first and foremost, and that means their family. So they got to spend time with their kids, with their wives, uh, make sure that their house is in order first. And that's what we're here to do is help cover them on the backside and, and get more eyes on recruits. Well, you just painted a very clear picture for us. I mean, like you're doing a phenomenal job communicating what that all looks like, that GM, the cross checker, like you're just it's really been uh, well thought out. It looks like a clear plan to how to attack this enormous job that you and your staff are doing. Um, you also kind of teased out some of what you would consider, you know, a Panther, who, who you're looking for, what you want your program to be about. Like you said, it's not just someone else's words now. It's not just someone else's vision. It's your vision. It's your current staff's vision. So what does that look like? Some pillars, some culture stuff within uh, Panther baseball. Yeah, for us, um, one big thing that we talk about is we're never going to sacrifice the character for the talent. Um, win or lose, we want to make sure that we have people in our, in our roster, in our program um, that do it the right way, that take the handle themselves the right way. They're, they're representing their families. They're representing the school. They're representing our program. Um, they're representing their high school. You know, there's, there's a lot of facets about this. So for us, we don't necessarily want to take the chance on the high talent, low character kids. Um, we want to make sure that we get ultimately high character, high talent, right? I mean, that's what everyone wants. Um, but if we had to make a choice for the most part, we're going to lean towards the high character average talent that we can work with and mold, because if they have good character, the likelihood of a good work ethic, the likelihood of a good teammate, uh, selflessness, doing the right thing when it's called for, those are the things that are come, they're going to come into it. So first and foremost, that's kind of our, our number one thing is we got to make sure we get the right people. Uh, then we want to start looking at how they play the game, right? Like I think we will always lean towards the baseball player over the the skill set. Um, for the most part, what has happened is as this game has evolved and more opportunity uh, has arose for for high school kids, especially in our state, with some of these avenues of of um, being seen, 
it's been a little harder at times to keep some of them home now too, right? Because back when I played, I think we had maybe six or seven Division One guys, maybe. Um, and that was in 2005, not to age myself, but that's not that long ago. Uh, and now you're looking at 35, 40 every year, kind of looking at the Division One scope. So of those six to eight, I bet a bunch of those were Milwaukee too, you know? So it was more hidden gems. It was more um, diamonds in the rough, you know, people laying in the weeds that weren't quite known. And now because there's more access, I think there's more national recruiting and regional recruiting, which is great for kids, right? Like it's awesome that they have more opportunity, that they have options to go and see these schools and maybe see if it's a fit. Um, but it also makes it a little more difficult for us. You know, there's no doubt about it. We're a, a mid-major school. We're not a power five. Uh, there's now NIL money being thrown around in our game, which has completely changed kind of the way recruiting has gone about for some people. And again, that's not necessarily something that we've gotten into or really want to deal with right now. Um, but it's, it's something that we just have to find fits, right? Like, who are we going to be? We've always been a blue collar program. We've never had the biggest, brightest, fanciest facilities and budgets and apparel and all those types of things. But what we do, we feel like we do well with what we have available to us. So as our new field came into play and we started moving over to the Frank from the Hank, obviously it becomes a little bit more palatable for division one baseball and becomes a little bit more exciting for, for recruits. So being able to um, tour people through the field in the clubhouse and see where we play now is definitely a big part of our recruiting scheme. Whereas in the past, I don't think we really wanted to go out to the field too much. Um, so it's, it's things like that that have happened. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge, you know, it's, it is a challenge. Um, I think overall, if we can find blue collar baseball IQ, baseball junkies, people that really love baseball, I think we have a chance to be really good. And then as we start building our program with those guys and finding a bit more success routinely, I think it opens up avenues to start bringing in maybe some bigger names and keeping them home in the future. Well, that, that actually helps you got me thinking about like, you know, your current state, you touched on a little bit, like where do you think Milwaukee fits in right now? You know, as we sit here, December 29th, 2023, like where do you think your guys niches, um, you know, in the college baseball landscape in the state of Wisconsin, regionally, nationally? Sure. I mean, you have to be honest with yourself, right? You can't, you can't say we're, we're Omaha bound. We're the number one team in the nation. That would just be lies and falsified information, you know? So for us, we know we're in the horizon league, which is a competitive league, but it's a one bid league, right? You have to win the tournament at the end to get to the regional and to get into the tournament. So for us, we know that going ahead. So we want to schedule accordingly, right? We want to make sure that we're, we're challenging our guys. We're, we're putting our guys in positions to be the best at the end of the year as compared to the beginning, because ultimately if you don't win the tournament, it doesn't matter what your season looked like because it's a failure. If you don't get to the NCAA tournament, I hate to say it, you failed, right? So for us, we want to make sure that we challenge our guys. We want to make sure that we go play some of the best out there. So, I mean, this year we're opening up our season at Fresno state and we're heading down to Texas, Rio Grande Valley, which will be a good challenge. Um, head back out to Long Beach State, and then we go down to Western Kentucky, which is kind of a, a program that's on the on the up. So we want to make sure that we're, we're giving these guys experiences that are Division One worthy. We want to get out and we want to see the nation, right, as, as coaching staff, as players, as college students. Like this is a unique opportunity where it's quote-unquote paid travel, right? We, we get to go and see places and do things um, that necessarily we don't have to pay for out of our pocket. So it's a kind of unique experience. So why not go do it right? You know, so we're challenging our players with a with a challenging non-conference schedule. And then by week five, we're in the conference, you know, so every weekend is going to be a three game set against a conference opponent. And we got to treat every game the same, whether it's the top team, the bottom team, your non-conference game, your conference game. As long as you understand that your your opponent is the baseball and that's all it is, it's not the team across from you, it's the baseball. If you perform against the baseball better than the other team, you give yourself a really good chance to win. That doesn't mean you're always going to win. doesn't mean the score is going to be on your side because there's plenty of games where you play better than the other team and they win or vice versa. But that's ultimately all you can control is your performance um, against that, that little sphere. So that's kind of what we're preaching to our guys. So, you know, as you talk about getting ready for spring and 
taking going to Fresno and traveling the country and giving those guys an unbelievable experience. Um, you're, you're in that phase right now where you had fall ball, you're in winter, guys are home for break. Let's maybe walk through the calendar a little bit. You get the job, it's official this summer, everything's coming together, kids come to campus. How did you structure fall ball? You know, how do you go into that um, and use your, your allotted hours on the field, off the field? Yeah, I think people that aren't in college baseball, the high school, the travel, the youth, um, it's kind of messy, honestly. Uh, even compared to a, a junior college schedule, to a D3, to a D2, to a D1, there's so many differences in rules and hours limitations. Um, so as, as the head coach now setting up the schedule, it's really unique. You have to work backwards, right? Like when you're setting up your schedule, for us, it's going to be different than people in Texas and Florida because they have access to outdoor and fields and weather later in the fall than we might. So we have to use our time wisely here up in the north, make sure that we're getting our allotted team practice time in the fall when we're hopefully going to have good weather and take advantage of every opportunity to us, um, which maybe gets us done a little bit earlier in the fall than some schools um, and starting earlier. So you you work backwards from your conference tournament. You, you, you take your days and you which days are going to be practice, which days are going to be competition. And then by the end of it, in the fall, we ended up with um, September 18th to October 23rd was our, our team practice, I believe. So, or maybe it was the 16th, whatever it was. So it's really about uh, four to four and a half weeks in the fall that you get with your team um, for a team practice with how our schedule works out. What that means is you get a 20 hour a week allotment with your players. So you can have up to, to, to 20 hours. You don't have to use them all, um, but that also has to include your weight room time. So let's say you're in the weight room three hours or you're in the weight room four hours, then you just have to separate your practices. Um, six days out of the week you can practice. You have to have a mandatory day off. So if you're doing a, a three-day a week for um, – or not three days, excuse me, six days a week for three hours, that's 18 hours. You only have two hours in the weight room. Um, if it's – if you're out there for 15 hours, then you have five hours for the weight room, you know? So it, it's, it becomes a balance of what do you value in the fall, right? Some people are going to put more emphasis and effort into the weight room and less on the baseball at that time, because maybe they don't feel it as valuable. Um, for us, we want to make sure that we get really good competition. We want to make sure that we're seeing our pitchers live. We're seeing our hitters live because for us, once you get inside, it's not as easy to do that, um, to get live reads in the outfield, to get fly balls, to get, all those types of work on the field uh, as compared to in the gym. So we want to make sure that we use our time outside wisely to get reps that we can't get inside really um, to, to maximize our ability. And then the other part of that is you get two uh, outside competitions. Now uh, I don't remember if that was two years ago or three years ago now that that started, but you get to play two games against uh, outside opponents. So for us, we played Madison college and Brighton Stratton this year. Um, and it just gives you a chance to see your team where they're at against other opponents instead of just inter-squad scrimmages. So we kind of work our fall around those dates, how we build our pitchers up, what our workload looks like. We want to make sure that we're very fresh for those two games. And typically, one of those games is also going to pair with our scout day, where we try to invite all the organizations to send any scouts that they might have interested, come see our guys work out in a pro-style workout, and then they get to see them live action as well. So we're trying to give our guys opportunity to play professional baseball. Um, we have to be very intentional with the way that we set it up and make sure that they're healthy and, and ready to go when that opportunity presents itself, because it's easy to say practice every day. Like there's a scout watching, but when you have one day set up where there should be a bunch of scouts, you better make sure that the guys are fresh and ready to go. Um, and then if we're outside that 20 hours, uh, we're in what's called individuals. So now you get eight hours, four hours of baseball activity, four hours in the weight room. So for us, what we did was we went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, one hour in the gym in separate groups. Um, and then we went one hour in the weight room, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So it gives them um, less baseball activity, which I know our guys would like to be in there 24 hours a day if possible. But it's also nice because we can be very intentional and we can focus our attention for that one hard hour of practice and then let them be. Maybe get off their bodies for a little bit, let them recuperate, recover. And then we hit the weight room a little bit harder because they have four hours in there now. And we want to make sure that it's a build phase because when you get to the college baseball season in the spring, I don't think it's out of the realm to say most baseball players lose five to eight pounds 
just because of the stress, the strain, the rigors, inability to get enough calories in while they're burning them all day long. We're on the road a lot, so it becomes a lot more difficult because everything becomes expensive. And that's just the way college baseball is. So you want to make sure that you're giving these guys the best ability to build themselves up to a point where they can maybe afford to lose a little bit of weight and not suffer their, their performance because of it. I mean, that's just – think about just managing that. I mean, is again, you and your staff, you got guys coming in from pitch counts off of spring, summer, into fall. There's a taper off, you know, whole point of this. It's facilities. It's weather. Um, you know, looking back at uh, – reflecting on your first fall, looking at, you know, what adjustments would you make going forward? You know, what what good things did you learn, lessons learned from, from year one of running it this way? Yeah, I think – this fall, we actually tried to cut back a little bit on practice time. We, we tried to be a little more fast paced. And one thing that I, I wanted to try and see how it went, which I think it actually went okay, uh, was we didn't want to do everything every day, right? We wanted to maybe take defense out of the equation one day or maybe just no hitting one day. And I think it, it makes, makes our guys hungry to, to want to hit or it makes them hungry to, to even throw the baseball, you know, because – you talk to pitchers that are, are really good at what they do and they enjoy what they do. They would love to throw every single day if possible because they just know that they do it well. But um, removing that from them, I think, can keep them hungry. Um, at the same time, maybe some days we, we didn't push them hard enough, you know. Uh, so it's, it's a balance, and that's kind of what we're feeling out, what works best for what we're trying to do. Uh, we want it to be somewhat laid back at times, but we also want to make sure that we're going hard, all out, um, it's, it's not like a fast break in basketball, but you can try to speed up the game. You can put time limitations on defensive plays, whether that's a, a 4-0 or a 4-2 or a 4-5 based on what runners you think you're going to see. Just trying to make our players understand that practice should be harder than the game. Let's try to play harder and faster in the practice than we will in the game. And then you can actually slow down and, and calm yourself once the game time hits. So we do a lot of overtraining with with offense. We do a lot of uh, quick runner work with our defense, but then we'll also do it where we, we slow it way down and say we need to see two shuffles every time you get rid of the ball, right? Let's not rush it. Let's not speed it up too fast because ultimately we want our guys to play fast but not rushed. We don't want them to be hurried, right? We want them to understand the tempo of the game. And I think if, if you use a stopwatch and just let them know what the time is every play, which is something that we try to do this fall, they start to understand, wait, I got more time there. Oh, shoot, I rushed too fast, and then I made a bad throw because I was worried it wasn't going to get there in time. The runner should have been a 4-3, and I was there in a 3-7. You know? So I think doing some of those things, and what we're trying to essentially do is make our players the best coaches on the field that they can be. We want them to be able to get the information from us, use us as a sounding board, but not rely on us. Right? I think your best teams are player-led, uh, they're held accountable by each other, uh, but they're also instinctual, right? They understand the game themselves. So they're already kind of doing something before the coach can even tell them. And that's just a matter of getting them the right information, making sure that they're prepared enough, but coaching them to coach themselves too, right? I think too many people, especially when I played, were just coach reliant. Like, hey, coach, tell me what to do. Hey, coach, what did I do wrong there? No, as a player, you have to be able to figure that out. That's what makes a good baseball player. And that's what makes a good baseball player turn into a coach is because that's how their brain works. That's how they've always thought about the game. It's how can I get better? What did I do wrong there? What adjustment do I have to make? If I, if I missed arm side high there, what do I have to do the next pitch to not let it happen again? Right. So for us, we're trying to put our players into uh, situations in the fall here where they learn and they coach themselves out of it. Right. Cause we, we would have plenty of hitters ask, Hey, mechanically, what'd you see there? And we would just say, I don't want to talk mechanics with you right now. You know, like, let's just focus on trying to compete and hit the ball hard and just watch the ball flight and let it be your feedback, right? And then at the end, when we go into a cage and we can break it down a little bit, then we can talk mechanics. But there's a time when mechanics come into play, and typically when you're on the baseball field competing, it really shouldn't be too much of a thought. That's a great segue into, right, right now, kids are home. Um, when do they report back, and then what does that buildup look like into your first series? Yeah, I think everyone can report back at different dates if they start a little sooner um, with their school than others. For us, we have to wait towards like the 15th. We have a camp, so guys will be back for camp to volunteer for that. And then um, we'll start our individual practices on the 22nd of January and team practice on the 26th, which is a, 
a mandatory start date three weeks prior to your first game. So ultimately we want them to be home. We have uh, guys from all over the nation this year. We've got two guys from California. We got a guy from Texas. We've had Florida, we've had Hawaii. We are huge in the family aspect here in our program. So we want to make sure that we give that opportunity to them to just go home and spend time with their families because they're not going to see them for three, four five months here coming up. Um, so go spend that time, connect, bond, but then get back here as soon as you can. So some people, maybe that's yesterday. I mean, there's guys around here today probably working out and throwing up in the cages and, and doing some work. Some people that might not be till the 15th, you know, it's, it's just kind of depending on their schedule. So we're not mandating um, they be back on a certain date, but we also do tell them like we give them a throwing progression. We want to make sure that they ramp up. If you just expect to come back here and start throwing day one, uh, you're going to be sitting on the sidelines with a red shirt because you're going to be hurt, you know? So we give them weight uh, lifting routines. We give them um, Austin. Our trainer has been really good at giving some hip uh, routines um, some throwing progressions. And then ultimately we want to make sure that they're going to some sort of a facility, whether that's here or a travel ball facility, there's a high school and just continually staying with intentional work, right? You'll hear me say the word intentional a lot. I think a lot of times people get in trouble because they hit just to hit because I'm supposed to hit, right? I got to go to the cage. I have to go to the cage. It's what I'm supposed to do. Well, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have an idea or a purpose behind it, don't, right? Some days it's okay to just walk away and not do something. Sometimes you can get better that way. Maybe your body's not reacting accordingly, right? I spoke at uh, the hitters signing day banquet the other day, and I, I said, I know this is maybe something you don't hear very often, but I'm a division one coach now, head coach. And I'm telling you, if it's not going well in the cage, it's okay to leave. It's okay to not sit there and try to work until you get out of it, because you're just going to spiral yourself. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get into bad routines, bad habits, and then you're going to get worse, right? So some days it's just not going well, you know? There's days in game where you have your best stuff on the mound and you can't get it out or vice versa. You throw that bullpen. You're like, holy cow, hope my defense is ready. It's going to be a tough day. And you throw one hitter, you know, it's, it's a weird game. It's unique. So it doesn't always matter if you're going well or doing well, right? Sometimes you just have to back up and reset your mind, clear your brain, go back with an intent, a purpose the next day and get better. So we tell our guys like, you don't have to be in there five days a week right now. This is a time to get off your body a little bit, but maybe it's two days a week, right? Find a place to throw and hit. And then as you get to the new year, maybe it's three and then it's four and then it's five, because by the time they get back, they're going to be in a, a four to six day a week schedule. So they got to be ready to swing every day and not get the blisters, right? They got to be ready to, to swing without uh, perfect batting gloves because they're going to have holes in them, right? Uh, they have to make sure that they're ready to make whatever it is, 35 or 55 throws across the infield without uh, getting sore or changing their, their arm path because they haven't been working at it. So we give them ideas on what we'd like to see them do. Now, ultimately, this is where you see who, who makes it or breaks it, right? There's guys that'll leave here with a starting role that'll come back and they won't be starters come, come February 16th. And vice versa, there's guys that maybe we didn't think would see much time but did a lot of work over the off season here in the, in the winter time. And man, they, they did something that, that just clicked, right? So it's that easy. It's not always like I changed my mechanics. I did something like this. You're just in the cage one day, you tried something and boom, it, it, it was a snap of the finger and it worked. And all of a sudden you became more confident and now you found your confidence moving forward. And now you've, you've turned yourself into a better baseball player. So that's what is fun for me as a coach right now. Um, is you get to see who really wants it, right? Who's going to go get after it? Who's going to go with a plan instead of just saying, hey, I hit every day. Um, and then you see the the benefits, the the fruits of their labor when they get back and, and they're ready to play. That's awesome. Well, it just got me thinking about, um, you know, WBCA, um, you know, you're speaking at this year's clinic. Um, you know, you've been up there for as long as I can remember. You're always a great resource for coaches, um, and everything else in between. So this year you're on stage. Maybe give us a little bit of a preview of, of what you're going to talk about here in February up in Madison. Sure. I, I have two topics that I'll be speaking on up in Madison. Um, one of them has to do with recruiting. Um, when Mark Fuller, a good friend of mine, reached out and asked if I'd be interested in speaking, absolutely. I think it's a great opportunity for, for myself. I think it's a great opportunity for our program. 
I think it's a great opportunity just to build a network and continue to reach out to those high school coaches uh, in our state and maybe some other states that, that come to the, the convention um, because you never know when they're going to have a player that might fit your need and you want to make sure that you can be a resource to them too, right? This isn't all just about making sure my program is the best. I want to be a resource. I want to be a, a fountain of knowledge, even though I don't feel I'm very knowledgeable um, to people that want help, right? Like there's a, a high school head coach that just got the job uh, over in Wapan, Travis Hall. Don't know if he listens, but if he does, shout out to you, Travis. Um, he coached my wife in volleyball in high school. Like he was our volleyball coach. So I've known him since then. I honestly didn't even know he was a big baseball guy until he reached out to me saying he got the job and he just wanted to chat. You know, I just want to have a conversation. I want to see what you guys do. I want to see what you implement. I want to see what your practices look like. Is there any ideas you can give me, uh, drills, tips moving forward? And that's what I'm here for, right? I want to be the best head coach in this program and in the division one ranks that I can be, but ultimately I want to increase the game in the state and the region and the nation if I can, right? I've had the opportunity to speak at a couple of USA baseball clinics now. Um, it's, it's just a door that opens that I think you can really impact other people, which is really what should make you as a coach feel good, right? I get to learn in those opportunities. I get to sit and listen to other clinic speakers. I get to listen to other presentations, which if you can take just one thing from each presentation, you're doing a really good job, right? Because you're increasing your acumen, you're getting more knowledgeable, you're putting something into play for your players that doesn't make it monotonous. And I think that's one thing that over time I learned is don't always stay monotonous and do the same things because it's worked, right? That doesn't mean it's good enough. You've got to challenge yourself sometimes. you got to get out of your, your norms, your comfort zone. you got to go try something new. Maybe it doesn't work, but it doesn't hurt to try, right? Uh, and I think that's where these conventions can be really big. So for me, the number one uh, topic I'm speaking on is um, practice organization and design for all seasons in the North, I think it's called. Just trying to give some ideas about what we have to deal with here in our program as far as facilities and weather and timeframes. Um, some of the information that we've already talked about on here will probably come up into it. Um, but then there will also be some ideas at the end, some drills. I know when I go to clinics, it's always great to see some videos of drills or ideas that people are doing that maybe you can not steal but borrow. Um, I think that's what coaching is. It's borrowing ideas from other people and making them your own making your uh, binder look similar to others, but not the same. So hopefully there's some some ideas, some drills there that'll help you uh, if you come to the convention or see the presentation. And then the other one is uh, recruiting in today's climate and how it's ever changing, right? With the NIL, with the transfer portal, um, there's just so many things happening in college baseball right now in the last three to five years with roster changes and COVID, scholarship limitations. There's just a plethora of information that I hope I can be of help and assistance to some of those high school coaches that don't know, that are kind of wondering what, what, what is it in college baseball now? What does it look like? Why are people transferring? What's available for players? What should I be telling my players? That's one of my last couple slides is how as a high school coach can I help impact my players and their recruiting uh, path and their discussions and their process so that I'm an uh, uh, access to them. Right. I'm not just sitting there on the side and say, hey, good luck. Right. I want to make sure that I'm doing my job as a coach, too, to help them in their process. So some of that information hopefully will be um, new to some people, but also just reaffirm what other people already know. And maybe it's just slightly tweaking or changing with the recent numbers compared to what they thought it was. Well, and might as well stay there for a second, because I've been coaching for a while now in the States and I've been lucky enough to have some kids play at a variety of different levels. And what I've learned is it's not just the kids who don't know much, it's the parents. A lot of times parents have never been through this. They're getting inundated with, like you said, all these outside organizations, these third-party organizations that are almost speaking a different language to them. And then it happens fast. They have, they're on you know, perceived timelines and deadlines and roster spots and offers and, and what should I do? Where should I spend my money? And it gets really confusing really quick because their their son goes from, you know, a, a, a boy playing baseball to all of a sudden, you know, a recruiting commodity. And there's just so much noise out there. So I'm hoping you can help us cut through the, the noise a little bit, give give coaches and then give players and parents um, some good guidelines. So do you have just a couple things you would pass along right now 
um, if a parent were to be listening to this or a player would be listening to this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have to do your research and you have to understand that not every school is for everybody. Even if it seems cool or if it seems like a really good fit in your mind, that doesn't mean it is, right? So I think you have to research as a parent and as a player, first and foremost, what do I really want? You know, like, am I okay going across the country and playing and not seeing my parents, not being around my friends from high school? Like all of that should come into play. And it's easy to say none of it matters. Even when I have conversations uh, today with high schoolers or junior college players, they say, I don't have, I always typically ask them, what's your wish list? Give me your top three impacting factors in your decision, right? And a lot of times it's school size, maybe it's scholarship money, maybe it's location, uh, it could be climate. There's so many factors out there that you can use. Be honest with yourself. Like for me as a college or a high school player coming out, I didn't have a lot of opportunity, but at the same time, I don't know that I would have done well if I had a ton of opportunity around the nation because I didn't ultimately want to leave home more than maybe three to five hours, you know? So I was probably going to be looking more regionally, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, potentially, right? Those are probably the states that I would have fit. It's easy to say, yeah, I want to go play at the University of Hawaii, or I want to play at Florida State, or I want to play at the University of Texas. Well, yeah, sure does everyone else in America, right? So you have to make sure that, number one, it's going to be a fit for your needs, right? It's easy to say, I want to go to those big schools. I challenge you to try and visit schools at some point and just make sure that those schools and the community and the, the places that they're geographically located fit your, your wish list. Because I've had players in the past, whether that was here or Mankato or Whitewater or even Summer Bowl, that have gone places and say, man, I wish I would have visited ahead of time because I did not think it would be like this, you know? And then they go see some of their buddies at a different school and like, man, that would have been a perfect fit for me. Well, that's part of the, the research you have to do as a family is make sure that you go and see the place. I typically would not recommend committing to a place if you haven't been there because you don't know the vibe, you don't know the location, the geographics. Listen, I think being in the north, people are always known as Midwest nice. And then you get down south and it's a little slower tempo of pace. Like there's just differences in the in the way society acts and, and, and works, you know. So make sure you're going to a place that fits you. Money should come come in, into play at some point, right? Like if you're if you're someone that has the means that you can go anywhere, great, right? Open it up. Don't worry about it. If you're someone that has to be a little bit more frugal and you have to make sure that it fits your, your family's budgetary needs, make sure you take that into effect too, right? Because you don't want to hamstring yourself with mountains of debt just because you wanted to go play baseball at this place if you know you're not going to be able to afford it in the future, you know? So you just have to do your research from there. Coaches, I think there's all kinds of information you can ask of the college guys, right? Like it's easy to promote your players and you should promote the players if you think they're good enough, right? One thing I always uh, stress or urge coaches is make sure you understand that your name's on the line too when you promote a player. Because if you're trying to hype a guy up to division one and maybe he's not a fit and he doesn't even play at the other levels, well, now it looks bad on you, you know? So you have to make sure that you're honest with yourself, but also have honest conversations with your players, right? Like, hey, I've, I've sent players to these schools. I've sent players to these schools. I see you more as a type B player than a type A player. Or you know what, right now you're a type B player, but if you really develop and you work hard, you get in the weight room, maybe you challenge into a type A. Or it, it can be the conversation of academically, I think a junior college route would be good for you right now. Let's build your grades up. Let's make sure you're at a point where you're ready to roll so that you don't have any issues when you get to that four year of, of playing right away. So I think honesty and truth, sometimes it's hard to hear. And sometimes I struggle with it at times too, saying it, right? You don't like to be the prick to someone. But I think um, Jim Leland just had an interview when he got inducted to the Hall of Fame. And one of the best quotes I had ever heard was, lie to a guy and you lose him their entire life. Uh, tell him the truth and you lose him for 24 hours, right? So it's not easy in the moment. Uh, you might not be liked by that player or that parent in the moment. But ultimately, if you're doing things the right way and you're staying and building that trust with them, they'll respect you and they'll understand how valuable that information from you was uh, once they finally get to that point. Well, I want to stay on roster for a second. You know, your your current 2024 roster at, at Milwaukee, um, you know, do you have an ideal breakdown 
you know, you have a majority high school guys, you know, majority, you know, some JUCO, some transfers. Like, where are you at right now, and do you have like a ideal formula or not? Sure, I, I can. I broke down our numbers this morning. Um, coming straight out of high school to us, we had 18 on our roster. From the junior college ranks, we have eight, and then from the transfer ranks, we have eight as well. Okay, so if you look at that 34 man roster just over half are from the high school ranks. And I think ultimately, if it was up to us, I would love to have high schoolers and develop them in your program, keep them in your program, make them have pride in your program so that they want to stay. Um, in today's climate, that's the hardest part. I, if I'm not, if I can be honest, I mean, it's as a coach, you sometimes worry, I get the high school kid that was maybe overlooked. I develop him. He starts taking off. He goes to summer ball and you're just crossing your fingers. You know, it's, there's some vultures out there, you know, so you got to make sure that you're, you're treating kids, right. You're building a relationship with them. You're making them understand the value of, of your program and, and treating them the right way. Um, but ultimately I think if, if we had a choice, we'd always like to take the high school player because we can mold them for four years in our program and make sure that we're giving them the best chance to be successful the way that we do it here. Um, we use the transfer portal. There's no doubt about it this year. We're going to have a couple starters right out of the portal. You know, we have to use it. I think of it more as, as plugging a, a hole in the boat, right? Like there's some leaking water. Where's the water leaking? How can we put a Juco player there that's maybe a little bit more game ready because they have collegiate at bats under their, under their belt, whether that's they went to a four year and then back to the Juco or they went straight Juco. There's a difference between high school baseball and college baseball. There's flat out is right. It's physicality. It's speed of the game. It's when you walked in as a freshman in high school and you were, what is it, 15 years old, and you're seeing 18-year-olds, you're like, man, these guys are big, they're physical. Well, wait till you walk in and see 23-year-olds now. It's a whole different ball game in the college game because you have those fifth-year and sometimes sixth-year guys now. So you got to make sure that you're you're kind of looking for that that mentality to, to make sure that you can plug those gaps to win now at times too. So we use the portal for that, and we'll use the junior college ranks for that. Um, there's also guys that we tried recruiting out of high school that won junior college. And it was a good fit for him that we just didn't want to let go of. And we stayed with him and we followed him and, and kept in touch. And, and now we have a spot. We have an availability and the needs there. And we feel like they can fit that need really well. So we want to make sure that we're using all avenues. We'd be stupid to say we want to be all high school or all transfer portal or all JUCO. If you're not open to it, you're not going to be the best possible roster you can be. At the same time, with that portal, you never know what it's going to turn out to be either. Because by the end of the year, your roster might have changed or you know what there might be guys that are in the portal that you went after hard and you lost out in a recruiting battle that really can help your team win now and they can make your program a better program too so i think you have to look at all avenues but ultimately like i said first and foremost if we can get the right high school players in our program that have skills that are maybe a little bit underdeveloped and we can get them in the weight room we feel like we can make a positive impact on their lives here and they can help develop our program to kind of where we want it to be that's incredible. I mean, it just, it's got me thinking about, you talk about ABCA's coming up. This is clinic season. We're getting all ramped up for, um, you know, spring to start um, all over the nation, but obviously in Wisconsin, whatever that looks like. But um, you in particular, like, what are you working on right now? Um, is there something you're trying to get out of this, this winter break? Is there, a, is there a specific part of the game? Like, or is there something you've learned recently that's really challenged how you do something? Yeah, I think I'm always, I mean, Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, is is out there, right? There's social media, there's Instagram, there's all kinds of things out there. I think there's more information than ever, which makes it difficult sometimes as a coach because you're trying to fight it or you're trying to, I don't know, just embrace it. Um, but at the same time as a coach, I feel it's valuable too because that's where I get to spark my interest. You know, like, whoa, let me see that drill again. Maybe that's something that I want to try. And then I can try it myself personally in the cage, or I can have a player come up that maybe I think it would benefit and have them try it and see how it works. You know, like I think as, as hard as it is to say, get off of the screens and don't always be on there. You can find value online, right? Because there's, it's free number one, which I think everyone loves free. It's the best price out there, but there's just people from all over that you would never have access to that. You would never have known in the past that are really good baseball people that maybe we're in professional baseball and now they're helping at academies or whatever it is. There's just little things that you can pick up that I think, so I'm always, my wife yells at me to get off my phone, but I'm always on Twitter. I, 
I can admit it because I'm looking for that next maybe thing that could help my program that could help just one of my hitters who's struggling with something or one of my catchers with a movement pattern, get that little, that little tip that changes the trajectory of their career. So I use that all the time right now. Honestly, I'm trying to really reconnect and, and connect overall with alumni. I mean, I think as, as the head coach now, that's something that I am trying to be more intentional about as well is trying to connect and bring people back into the family and make sure that they're as involved as they want to be. I would love for every player who ever played here to be involved. There's no doubt about it, but I also understand that people's ideas, people's thoughts change, right? Like some people have moved far away and they're not really uh, even aware of what's going on here. You know, so my job is to find a way to get in contact and just bring the awareness back to them, maybe set up a, a database where I can send out a monthly email or just a newsletter to just say, hey, we love that you were in the program. If you would like to be part of it moving forward and just want to stay informed, here's your access to it, right? Then hopefully we can build a culture where we start seeing more alumni come back to our games. We start having some more alumni events. And then ultimately we all become one big family again together so that when guys leave here, they're the ones that want to come back and be part of that alumni base that they've seen having fun in the in the uh, suites and in the, the stands while the games are going on. Oh, that's incredible. I, I want to go back to the social media piece for a while. Um, obviously, the, the kids are on it. The guys are on it, right? And I'm sure there's a part of it, too, is like they're seeing probably more than, than you and I are. Um, and they're questioning and maybe they got something from it or their their academy instructor, or their high school. Um, and I think it's an important piece for you to mention. Like it, if you use it well, it's a good tool. Like it's like any other tool that you use well. Uh, my question for you is, are there certain accounts that you follow that you think would be worth passing along? Like I'm sure you send stuff out to your guys, other coaches. Like is there anything that stands out? You're like, you know what? Spend some time here, high school coach. You're going to get a lot of value out of it. Yeah, I mean – I don't know if it's necessarily just accounts. I mean, there's there's guys that I probably see a lot off of that I steal ideas from or borrow ideas. And it's, like I said, it just lights the bulb in your head. Um, I mean, Trey Hannum is a guy who's out there. He puts out a lot of content. And the fun thing about Twitter for me is just because you like something someone puts out, the next one you might absolutely hate, right? But it's not going to hurt Trey's feelings or it's not going to hurt teacher man's feelings, or it's not going to hurt Jeff Fry's feelings if you don't agree with one thing they have, right? That's what social media is fun for, is you get to see different ways of doing it. I've tried stuff that teacher man does. I probably hit like Jeff Fry likes to hit, you know, like there's multiple ways to skin a cat. Ultimately, you're just trying to see the pitch, swing at the right pitch and hit it hard, you know? So, um, but any way that you can find a tip, a drill that, that gets your players to, to become more confident, number one, um, because I think without confidence, you're never going to have success anyways. So for us, what we tell our players is confidence is making sure that you've taken care of all of your preparation, that you're in charge, that you not, you left no stone unturned, you didn't leave any door open, so that when the game comes, you just rely on your unconscious ability to, to respond, right? It's a reactionary thing. Hitting, we want to talk about all these reactionary things while we hit in the cages. Ultimately, it's not, Right we have to be looking at the spin speed location of the pitch, determining whether or not we think it's a strike, number one, then whether or not we think it's a pitch that we should swing at, and then we have to do the right thing and put the swing on it. So in the cages, it's fun because you get to be in control. You get to dictate. You get to change the things. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, I want to make sure that I give my guys ideas, drills that prepares them to best have success in game, right? Because it's easy to be successful in a drill in a cage when the ball's not moving, or it's an underhand flip, but is it going to be successful when there's a pitcher on the mound and they have to react? That's what you always have to keep in mind as a coach. Am I preparing for in-game success or am I just trying to make the swing look right in my opinion? You know, because timing is huge, right? Approach is huge. Mentality is huge. Mechanics are only a small piece of the equation. So as a coach, if we can find social media accounts and uh, drills that are helping with our approaches, are helping with our timing, making sure that we're in the right position early and, and often, you're going to have more success. And then ultimately it's about being able to relax when the game comes and, and see the pitch and hit it. That's great, man. I, I We're bumping up on an hour here all of a sudden, so I'll, we'll start cutting it short here. But um, it just – I want to just let let you have the last few minutes. Like you know, you've you're such an easy guy to root for. I think you're more Panther fans by the second that this this gets played. 
Um, and I want to thank you so much for jumping on here. But, you know, give us some advice. Give us something else uh, to lead us off into a, a good 2024. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate in my life to have a lot of really good coaches and mentors that have, have gotten me to where I'm at. You know, like you don't do this alone in the game of baseball. It's, it is about networking. It is about the people around you. It's about making sure you have relationships uh, with the right people that can get you to where you want to go, right? I always encourage people to be where their feet are at because it's so easy to look ahead and look at the next, look at the best, look at the next best, right? But don't. Just be the best in where you're at, right? Ultimately, people ask me now that I'm the head coach in recruiting. I've had it happen multiple times this fall. Hey, what's your goals? Like, where do you see yourself next? I don't think about next. I don't. I think about here. I think about the present. I think about how can I make this program the best possible program it could be. Um, so, so don't always get um, focused on the future. Just focus on what you can do today to be better for tomorrow. And then when tomorrow comes, how do you get better for the next day, right? But at the same time, challenge yourself, right? Be honest with yourself. I have to do this all the time, right? Because my kids are great. Love my kids. I have a 10-year-old daughter, a 7-year-old son, and a 1-year-old daughter now. They will humble you quickly. Just when you think you've done something good or you're, you're doing something proper, they'll let you know, like, you don't coach the Brewers, Dad. Yeah, I know I don't. That I'm, I'm a nobody, right? That's what it comes down to. So for me, like it's it's so easy to, to, to think about yourself in this situation, but remember why you are where you're at. Like I had really good um, youth coaches, uh, Dick Schrader and Kyle Kosky, who always were pushing us as seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, right? And looking back, I didn't know it back then, but they were giving us information without us even understanding right? Like when I came into high school, all that information didn't come from a high school coach. It didn't come from a college coach. Those were my youth coaches that I was fortunate to have really good ones, right? So I have to thank them. And then my high school coach, Rusty Tiedemann, I know that you've picked his brain quite a bit. Um, man, it was structured really well looking back at it. Maybe sometimes in the moment we didn't like it because it was really strict and there was a dictatorship at times, but that's what I needed ultimately. When I, when I think back to my high school career, I had a basketball coach that was that way. Rusty was that way. My soccer coach was a little bit more laid back, and that's what worked for him. But I thrived off of people that were always on me, always expecting more out of me because as much as I wanted to be good, I also needed people to, to help me understand I'm not good enough, right? Like you have more in you. You have to go push yourself. So to Rusty, I, I owe a lot to Rusty. And obviously he had a dad who was pretty famous and he was really good at what he did, man. If I could ever accomplish anything close to what Russ Tiedemann did over at Oshkosh, that would be amazing. Cause that guy was one heck of a ball coach. Um, but then I had my own college coach and Scotty and Corey and, and Jerry Augustine and got to work with Vo. I got to work with Matt Moggers, Adam Christ at Mankato. Got to work with some people in the Northwoods league, uh, Eddie Morgan. Um, there's just people that I got connected to that helped me build my, my, acumen, my coaching pedigree. And without all of their support, without all their help, I know I can call any one of them still today and they'll give me advice. They'll, they'll tell me what I, what I can do and what I can't do well. You know, like, I think that's what I respect out of those guys most is they're not just going to pat me on the butt and fluff me up. They're going to tell me where I, where I struggle, where I lack, you know? So as a, as a coach moving into 2024, Everyone always wants to make resolutions and what am I going to do? I'm going to lose weight. I'll be up in the gym until January 13th when I become sick of it. Right. Um, really easy one to do is challenge yourself every month to connect with five new coaches, whether that's high school, whether that's youth, whether that's travel, whether that's professional, right? Like I've had the chance to connect with Craig council and Pat Murphy and some of these other guys just by reaching out, right? Like people are scared to, to just ask a lot of times, and if you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out, could I be a college coach? What do they do at the college level? How can I improve myself? If I can be a resource to you at all, don't ever hesitate to reach out. My email can be found online. Um, I'm pretty sure my cell phone's on there. Feel free to reach out with a text. Shoot me a call. Leave me a voicemail. I'm not always great at responding to voicemails right away. I'm not going to lie. Emails might take a day or two with a bunch of stuff going on, but challenge yourself to get out there and get out of your comfort zone. Uh, understand that you have so much left to learn and to challenge yourself on. 
but it starts with sparking your own interest and in asking the questions, right? So don't ever hesitate to reach out to me if I can be of any assistance to you. Um, and I look forward to hopefully seeing a bunch of you guys at the convention and, and maybe having a, a pop or two with you at the social. And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Coach Weggs for taking time out of his busy schedule to join us today. Um, just love, again, sitting down and talking with him, hearing the ins and outs of his job is, is just so complex at times. Um, you know, oftentimes it just the recruiting and budgeting, travel, you know, he's got a phenomenal staff that, that helps that whole operation run. And, you know, I think the more and more we listen to him, just we're all Panther baseball fans. It's just such an easy program to root for. Uh, watching this transition um, in, into the into the Wegner era. A um, couple things just about uh, his appearance at the WBCA Coaches Clinic on Friday, February 9th. Uh, he's at from 435 to 515, talking about college baseball uh, and the recruiting sphere, just the ever-changing dynamics. Might be great for, for coaches um, to help understand what it looks like in 2024 and moving forward. And then coming back on Saturday at 10.30 a.m., practice organization and design for all seasons in the north. Again, something that all of us deal with. I don't matter if you've got a turf field or if you are you have an indoor facility or what you got. I mean, it's it, the weather's the weather. Um, you know, baseball goes on as much as it can. And I think just any tidbits um, to take from, from the college side and practice organization uh, is always helpful. So... Thanks for coming back to the Baseball Wisconsin podcast. We love having you. Uh, again, feel free to send this out to anybody who might be interested. Send it on your group text, retweet it, share it, whatever. Um, I know I, I get a ton from these episodes as well. So until next time, um, have a great rest of your day.